Glad to see you all. Uh, had a great time at the Harvest Fest yesterday out in the frigid cold. It wasn't rained. <laughs> we keep moving it earlier, but I'm proposing next year we do it in July. <laughs> so, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you that we can gather together in your name to worship you, to celebrate your body and blood and, and, and communion. Lord, and to hear from Your Word, I pray that uh, Your Holy Spirit would come upon each and every person here and that these words that I share would edify, would build up, strengthen, and encourage and comfort. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm starting a new series uh, called uh, Community and Citizenship. Uh, and it's about uh, uh, engaging a divided society with a unifying message of the Gospel. And it's, it's really actually more connected than what you may think with last, the last series, which was about the end of the world. Um, and if you remember, we discussed some various issues concerning the end of the world, and the, it led up to the point that, you know, according to the Bible, we end up uh, living eternally in fellowship with Christ as Jesus as King on a renewed earth, you know, and a lot of times people, we don't end up just floating around in heaven. We live uh, in community on earth. And I was thinking, you know, there's going to be billions of Christians. There's two billion Christians alive on planet earth right now. And we realize, you know, that maybe not, they're not all genuine Christians, but probably most of them are. And that's not counting all of the, uh, the millions and puns, millions that have lived in previous generations. So it's not like we're not going to have population. <clears throat> um, we're going, to have, we're going to live in community. We're going to live in unity. And, and so this is one aspect that carries on, one aspect of the current uh, life that we have that carries on into the next life. You know, there's many things to say, well, you can't take it with you, right? Have you ever heard that? You can't take But there's one thing that you can take with you. You know what that is? Other people. When you lead someone to Christ... You can take other people. It's the only thing that you can take from this life into the next life. And so that's why you know, I encourage you and is why we as a church, we are focused on reaching those other people. And the church is not about just preserving ourselves. You know, God's really good at keeping His own. Uh, our job and what He told us to do is to preach the Gospel to the lost so that they're not... Uh, lost, so that they're brought into the community. And so we want to talk about uh, community and citizenship and, and how that means. You know, our culture is so very segregated, alright, despite decades and decades of effort to remove it. And I'm not just talking, it certainly applies to racial segregation, but there's many types of segregation. There's political segregation, economic segregation, gender, even musical tastes segregate people. It divides. All right? Segregation just means breaking into divisions, separate groups, <clears throat> isolation uh, from others because of a difference. You know, right now we're in the middle of a heated election. Have you noticed? <laughs> you know, I'm not worried about this election. Just so I want you all to know, I'm not worried about it at all. Election, presidents come and go. 
Elections come and go, thankfully. <laughs> God remains. God's in control. I'm not saying that bad things don't, don't happen uh, and good things sometimes happen. But, you know, we don't have to fear. Uh, we have to be faithful. And so this, this series is really about how to respond in a faithful way and not give in to fear. <clears throat> but we're in the middle of this uh, election. The one thing I notice most of all is the almost Herculean effort that both sides, and in our country, unfortunately, I feel, it's limited to two parties. <clears throat> you know, there's a, there's a divide and conquer mentality. And that both sides just are so intent at dividing the opposition in order to conquer them. And every word a candidate speaks is, you know, hashtagged and scrutinized to death. And, 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 and it's just, they just tear apart Every every sentence just to point fingers <clears throat> where they've erred. You know, Romney and his uh, 47%, and they've just been harping on that constantly. Or, uh, a, there's a whole list of ones Obama has made. But the recent one, when he said to the Russian president, my, this is my last election. After the election, I can be more flexible. <laughs> like, you know he regretted saying that. <laughs> you know, and I'm not saying these are right or wrong. <clears throat> what I'm saying is that uh, instead of uh, uh, taking issues and comparing uh, ideologies, all uh, it seems, especially the press and even individuals, they take on the little catchphrases and just use them as, as, a, as a weapon against the other person or, or, or those around us. As long as there's politics, there's going to be segregation. Right? You know, politics just, it, it, it's about us against them. And as long as there's money, as long as there is money, there's going to be class divisions. Right? And so, in one sense, we're not going to rid our society of these things, but we need to live in a way that doesn't succumb <clears throat> to the, our society's uh, pressures and, 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 and the evil intent or the misuse of these things to divide and segregate and tear down and belittle. Jesus presents... Really, another option. In the next four weeks, I'm going to talk about what it means to live in community and as good citizens. This week, I'm going to talk about Jesus' counterculture kingdom. Okay? Jesus really presented a counterculture. You know the word counterculture? It's not used that much. It was used back in the day when the hippies were around. There was a counterculture. And that's a, a culture that's contrasted or countered differently, intentionally significantly different than the predominant culture. And when you read the account of Jesus Christ and when you read Jesus' interaction in His day, He presented a culture that was contrary to the predominant culture in His day. And we're going to get into some examples of that. But before we do that, one thing we have to understand... I hope you understand this. <clears throat> Please. Um, we can't l- learn how to live Christ-like by, by watching television. All right? CNN may inform you about what's going on around the world, but you will not, they will not inform you how to respond to that in a Christ-like way. And neither will Fox News. Okay? Or anything else. 
Um, popular culture will not teach us how to live with kingdom values. All right? And uh, many of you know I had a heart attack this summer, <clears throat> and I'm doing okay. Um, doing actually amazing. There's my wife. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> Welcome to church, honey. She's, she's not late for first service. She's very early for second. That's what she tells me. <laughs> and so, um, so there's like 36 weeks I have to go to rehab. And so I get hooked up with a bunch of electrodes. They don't hurt. They just monitor my heart. And I exercise. And it's kind of funny because, I mean, I think it's grace. that I should have asked the doctor if it was a miracle, but there's absolutely no damage to my heart tissue, even though I suffered a major heart attack. <clears throat> absolutely no damage whatsoever. The doctor, all the doctors are amazed I'm alive. Yeah, amen. Praise God. <clears throat> but the fact that there's no damage whatsoever, because when your heart is damaged, it never repairs. It's, it turns into scar tissue, and you lose that percentage of your heart function. And so I have zero loss in heart function. So I'm in this rehab with all these other people. And some one guy's five years younger than me. He had open heart surgery, quadruple bypass. He looks more fit than I. But, uh, I mean, they're all doing the, on the treadmill, you know. And there's only one elliptical. They don't allow the other patients to use the elliptical. How many know what an elliptical is? You know, it's hardcore exercise. I'm the only one that can use it because I'm a, my heart is in good enough condition that I can handle it. So I'm, I'm doing a real workout, and then I have some weights, and I'm using the heaviest weights. I'm just, I've worked out all my life. <clears throat> so it feels kind of weird to be in there with all these other guys. <laughs> what, they, they call me show-off. <laughs> you show-off. <laughs> but anyway, while I'm on the elliptical, unfortunately, nothing personal here, but uh, I'm, I'm forced. There's, the TV is always on the Ellen show. <laughs> you know, and I, one thing I was thinking, so I'm, I'm forced to watch this. Thankfully, it sounds off, but they got the words up there. Uh, <clears throat> I really hope that that's not what people think church is supposed to be like, because when she comes in and everybody's clapping and and she does the little dance, you know, it's every day it's the same. She comes up and does the little dance, you know. How many have seen it? Come on, you it's Oprah. They're all the same. <clears throat> Oh, I don't know if Oprah dances, but it's celebrity worship. It, what it is is celebrity worship. And I really am like shocked at how some of these people, I mean, they just drool over the fact that they're within a couple of feet of Ellen. I'm like, well, big deal. You know, just, I don't know, I don't get it. Uh, <laughs> but that's not the, you know... That's not, that's not what church is supposed to be. That's not the, the ambience, that's, you know, uh, or, or the purpose, or the, you know, and it's okay that they get excited about that. I don't quite understand it. Uh, but one thing that I, I, I must, and remember the point of what we're talking about is learning uh, Christ-centered uh, 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 kingdom culture. We're not going to learn it from popular culture. And so here we have this incredibly popular television show and television person, I'm sure she's a nice person. She's very funny. She's a fantastic performer. But <clears throat> I've just seen the progress of, of you know, how she uh, admitted her, her sexual preference. And, and, you know, and that was, I don't know, what, 10 years ago? And even then there was like, oh, you know, the show got canceled. But, you know, gradually people kind of got used to it. And now there's this a normalization to where, you know, that's not even a factor anymore. 
Uh, and in our, my own lifetime, um, there has been such a transformation, a monumental shift in our culture about, about uh, homosexuality. And so now we have uh, a person who is, I think, has, has shaped our culture's idea of homosexuality significantly. And it's, it's, just, it's, it's just fine to just, you know, go Google and Gaga over her uh, as though that doesn't matter, you know. And, of course, that's what they want you to say, that a person's personal sex life you know, it's none of your business. It doesn't matter what they do. But I'm telling you, it does. It has tremendous influence in our culture and our next generation. All right? And I've talked, I've known children that have been raised by lesbians. And I've, I've helped people uh, struggle with uh, same-sex attraction and how it... Uh, cor- corrupts them and twists them in the inside. Uh, and I've had personal experience with many people, and it's a very, very serious issue. I'm not to belittle it at all. <clears throat> but uh, what is presented is that, oh, everything's fine. You don't even talk, you don't even mention about it. Everything's just happy, happy, fun. And so this is not kingdom culture. We don't find that in our uh, popular culture. How can we, uh, and just, just another uh, issue, and this, I'm not really teaching about homosexuality, it's, it's another whole topic, I'm just using it as an example of how the culture has been shifted and it, and it continues to shift. They just passed a law, I just read a couple of days ago, in California that makes it illegal for any licensed psychologist or medical professional to offer any advice for a minor that's struggling with same-sex attraction, even if the minor desires to be free from it, even if the minor admits that uh, and tells them that the reason they experience it is because of uh, sexual abuse, it's illegal for a professional to help them overcome or respond to same-sex attraction. They'll lose their license. Okay? When my wife went to nursing school, she has textbooks that still listed homosexuality as one of the signs of mental, a mental problem. Okay? That wasn't even 50 years ago. And now it's illegal. I've had psychiatrists tell me that they are legally bound to not say anything against. And it's all politically motivated. It's all politically motivated because studies show that that lifestyle does not produce uh, healthy, stable families. All right? <clears throat> and I, re- I say that not because I hate homosexuals. It's because I love them. And, and I want, I want, I love, and God loves the family. He created the idea. And it's something that's supposed to bring stability to our society. And if the enemy can come and, and, and disrupt <coughs> the family, like he has already in marriage, and destroy marriages, and now, now distort our, even our perception of, of sexual relationships and what is normal, uh, then he can destroy the whole society and bring it to chaos. So how can we respond in a way that doesn't segregate or divide our community, but represents Christ's love in a way that draws people to Him? Right? And this is the issue. Matthew 5, 44-48. I'm going to read it in New King James. Matthew 5, 44. says, this is Jesus speaking. Very famous quote. He says, I say unto you, 
Love your enemies. Love your enemies. What does that look like? You know, in order for us to live this, we have to identify who our enemies are. And if you say you don't have any enemies, you're probably fooling yourself. There's somebody or there's some group that ticks you off. All right? That you avoid intentionally. And love cannot be avoiding intentionally. That is not an expression of love, is it? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Wow. Sons and daughters. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you have? Uh, what, are your, what do you do? I'm sorry. What do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do the, do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he, he compares how we're to treat those who are in opposition to us to the way that God treats the evil and the good. And how does He do it? He, do, he treats them equally. He lets the sun shine in both of them. He lets the rain fall for both of them. He doesn't discriminate in any way between good and evil. And that, that is how we are to treat those who are in opposition to who may even hate us and persecute us. Jesus is presenting a radical counterculture here. All right? He is trying to shake up humanity. And Jesus demonstrated this in His life. You know, the ultimate expression, we'll start with this, is, is on the cross in Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, while He was hanging there, after He was wrongfully accused, tried and convicted of blasphemy and then beaten, and He carried the cross and they, and they hung Him on the cross, while He's hanging on the cross awaiting for death, He says, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. And what an expression of a counterculture response to injustice. Mm -hmm. Jesus suffered the greatest injustice of anyone. See, because all of us, all of us are guilty of sin and, and, and the penalty of sin is death, but Christ is the only one who is not guilty of sin. And he was, and he suffered the pain of excruciating torture and death. And on that cross, I believe that the spiritual weight of all the sin of all mankind rested upon him. The shame, the guilt of all sin, uh, he he bore. And so the, the the physical depiction was nothing compared to the the spiritual reality of what he encountered on the cross. <clears throat> he continues to uh, represent a. A different uh, lifestyle, a counterculture lifestyle in John chapter 4, verse 7 uh, through 10. I'm going to read it uh, in the New King James again. John 4, 7. It says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Hey, could you give me a drink? <laughs> Can I have a drink? I'm thirsty. Can you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, She was shocked. How is it that you, being a Jew... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. 
For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him. And He would have given you living water. And so Christ is a great story. He just completely bulldozes over one of the biggest issues in his day, which was the Samaritans and the Jews. They had nothing to do. They would not talk to a, Jew, a devout Jew. Would not even look at a Samaritan. It was not even though if a Samaritan was coming, he just cast his eyes away because they were dirty. There was no dealings whatsoever. And in his day, gender uh, divide was even more pronounced, far more pronounced than we experience today. A man just would not even speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. And so Jesus just blithely violates all of these cultural taboos and asks this Samaritan woman, would you give me a drink? And then he goes further. He said, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me a drink. In other words, knowing the identity of Christ would have compelled her to break all of those uh, uh, cultural taboos because of the value of what He had to offer. Jesus presents a a counterculture. There was also a a, a radical political division there too. The Samaritans and Jews were politically divided. There was a gender difference as well as a racial difference. And Jesus, Jesus just, just pushes those all aside because His kingdom is not, is, is not uh, separated by those barriers. Look at His twelve disciples. His chosen one, the apostles. He had twelve, <clears throat> they were fishermen. They were working class guys. Peter probably owned his own business. Uh, some of them, uh, some of the fishermen in those days were, were uh, 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 quite prosperous. Um, so there are business owners. And then he adds Matthew, a tax collector. All right? And then Simon, <coughs> the zealot, who possibly, uh, as often thought of, uh, the zealot could have referred to a, a radical, politically motivated um, uh, insurgent group of the day trying to overthrow the Romans. Can you imagine those 12 together? Working class guys, business owners, a tax collector, which everybody hated, all right, <clears throat> and a zealot. Do you think they agreed on every, all the political stuff? No way. They didn't agree on anything. All right. But he pulls together this diverse group and says, this is the, this is the core. It's this group that I'm going to change the world with. Matthew 22, 17, <clears throat> another example. 17-21, Jesus responding. Uh, to a cultural issue, it says, "Tell us." That, so um, the, uh, the the Pharisees and the scribes were trying to to catch Jesus uh, in a in a debate, and this was one of the ongoing debates. When they asked him questions throughout the uh, scriptures, every one of those questions was a heated uh, issue in Christ's day, um, and so they were trying to get him to side with one side or the other in a political or a moral issue. Uh, like this question and other questions in Scripture. <clears throat> and so they say, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Because the Jews just struggled with this. And many of them uh, thought it was not legal. It wasn't lawful. It wasn't according to God's law to pay taxes to a heathen uh, that was, uh, 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 had, taken, had conquered Jerusalem. And Jesus perceived their wickedness. Just asking the question... He saw that the motivation of their heart was wicked. 
And he said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? They weren't really interested in the answer. They just wanted to provoke. You know, it's kind of like what you see on TV. <laughs> let's, not, let's, let's, let's draw out and find out what someone really under, what, uh, believes in, what they're going for. Let's just try to slice and dice. And so he says, show me the tax, show me the money. <laughs> Jesus says, show me the money. Show me the tax money. And they brought, brought him a denarius and he said to, said to them, whose image and inscription is this? And of course they had the image of Caesar. He said that render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. I, I haven't <clears throat> verified this myself, but uh, uh, some respected uh, preachers I've heard uh, and scholars say that the coin that was in use in Jesus' day had the picture of Caesar on one side and on the reverse side had the picture of Caesar's mother sitting on a throne and she was called the, the mother of God um, because she gave birth to Caesar and, and was actually part of the, uh, uh, the, the worship of Caesar was because the mother was divine. And so the, uh, some, some people believe that when G- Jesus said, you know, whose image is here? Caesar. He said, render to Caesar that which is Caesar, talking about the coin, and that it's his coin, and then he turns it over and says, render to God that which is God. He's saying that he's, Caesar isn't the real God. So we don't worship money. We worship the real God. And if it's Caesar's coin, give it back to him. Who cares? And it cuts it to the heart. He doesn't, he doesn't side with either side of the debate. He answers to the heart of the question. And this is what Jesus, this is how Jesus responds every time. You know, first century Palestine, unlike today, was a hotbed of political, economic, and religious and racial tension. <clears throat> Hasn't changed much, has it? 2,000 years. And every time they tried to uh, suck him into one side or the other, he would always speak to the heart of the issue. And he, he'd never allow the political twist or the economic twist or the racial innuendos to, to influence him. All right? Because he was representing a counterculture. <clears throat> he, was, he, he went to what was going on in the heart of the individuals that was taught to them. And it's not that <clears throat> political issues don't need a Christian viewpoint. All right? we, we do need that in our society. But we need to express it in a way that's Christ-like. And, and represent it in a way that brings unity and community and not division and strife and contention. Um, <clears throat> Christ came to minister salvation. In, in, in Christ's eyes... Both sides of the aisle, as it were, were equally under condemnation and bound by sin. Alright? It wasn't like one side is right and one side is wrong. He saw it from God's point of view. And that everyone is cursed by sin and everyone needs salvation. And I think that Christ's goal, and if we live like Christ, our goal should be to win the person and not just the debate. Okay? Win the person, not just the debate. And sometimes it's okay to discuss politics. And at this season of the you know, uh, election, uh, you know, we, we, we should be discussing politics, but never put the political agenda above this person's 
salvation. And understand who you're representing is not just merely a political party, but you're representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who actually has a counterculture approach to how to respond. We need to minister love to the individual and not just try to prove them wrong. You know, if Jesus was interviewed on CNN, I'm sure they'd call him a conservative. And if they interviewed him on Fox News, I'm sure he'd be branded a liberal. I know for certain neither one would call him lukewarm. Right? If it's true then, it's true today. If you feel that Jesus is really comfortable with your politics and hates your opponents, you might find it uh, very uncomfortable if you were to stand up and speak at your convention. Right? If you think Jesus is comfortable with your politics and hates the other people, I think you'd be surprised. Because He's going to come in and speak to the heart. He's probably going to reveal issues that that you weren't even aware of. And I'm not saying we we shouldn't take political, uh, shouldn't have a political frame of mind or or, or a reference or 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 a preference, but we need to present it in a way that's Christ-like, and we need to understand what Jesus's priorities are. Frankly, I'm a little upset, and I'm going to wander a little bit. <clears throat> and I I understand the concerns for the middle class. But when I read the Bible, it's more concerned about the poor. You know, and the only thing you hear about the poor is how they're taking advantage of everybody. You know. All right. Jesus' vision. Let's move on. John seventeen thirteen through twenty three. Well, what does Jesus present? What is the counterculture? If it's not represented by our our current culture of division and segregation, Jesus talks about this in his in his heavenly his high priestly prayer found in John 17. I'm going to start in verse 13 and read through 23. Uh, Jesus says he's he's praying. Here's can you imagine? We, we get to we get to hear the God the Son's prayer and communication to God the Father. What a privilege that we he 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 records this in scripture so that we can hear what the communication is like and what what the son speaks to the father about. What's so important that 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 Jesus feels that he needs to pray to the Father. He says, "But now I come to you that in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So you sent me as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Wow. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends you. Say it out loud. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends me. Alright? That's the truth. That's what it means to be a Christian. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. 
that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. That's you. Through your Word. Jesus is praying for everyone that's going to come into relationship with Him through your Word. That they all may be one as You, Father, are in Me and I in You. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that You sent Me. And that the glory which You gave Me, I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them, You in Me. And that they may be made perfect or complete in one. And that the world may know that You have sent Me and have loved them as You have loved Me. And so the ultimate way that the world knows that the Father loves is through the unity expressed by the believers. And that the unity uh, is an inclusive unity embracing everyone who comes into relationship and seeking seeking that everyone would come into that relationship. That we represent a kingdom that is attempting to reach every man, woman, and child and bring them in to this oneness. The oneness that, that is, is not only compared to, but is actually joined to the oneness of the Trinity. Complete utter unity with no division, no contention, no disagreement. You know, Jesus acknowledges that there are differences. He called sinners sinners. He called hypocrites hypocrites. Alright? He called tax collectors tax collectors. But He loved each and every one of them. Alright? And His mission was to, to bring them to a place of unity. And so the counterculture that Christ represents is a level of unity that goes beyond anything that we can find in the world. Uh, A unity that expresses the fullness of God's love. It says that they they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. All right? And Christians, listen folks, we need to get the joy thing down. All right? We... I don't know if you read the things that were posted around the church, but the common, uh, most common uh, things said about Christians by non-believers. You read it. You know, the, one of the first ones is they're, they're all, they're all uh, angry. And they always talk about what they're against and never what they're for. We can't be that way. We need to be joy agents. Right? We need to have Christ's joy filled in us. We need to be the expressions of joy in the midst of calamity. When everything's falling apart, we walk in and say, it's wonderful, isn't it? Not Because our joy is not based on outward circumstances, but on the reality of our relationship with Christ. He goes on in this prayer in verse 14, he says, I have given them Your Word. You know what differentiates us from the world, from those representing Jesus' counterculture to those representing the culture that we're countering, (laughs) is God's Word plus nothing. Alright? It's God's Word. It's not God's Word and. If it's God's Word and anything, you're corrupting the culture that Jesus brings. Alright? This is so important. Christians throughout history will always, you know, it's, it's always God's Word, but they always add something to it. In order, you have to agree to God's Word and this other thing in order to be really accepted. And we can't be that way. 
We cannot allow that to happen. It says, the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Hatred is to be expected. Frankly, it's to be embraced by the world because it means we're living Christ-like. But it should never be the reaction to our hate. Amen. Mm-hmm. Right? But the reaction because we love like Christ loved. We love in such a selfless way that it provokes them to hatred. But we love them in the midst of it because we're trying to win them, win them into the same type of relationship that we have. That we're one with one another and we're one with Christ. <clears throat> Jesus says we're not of the world just as He's not of the world. Well, what does that mean? We're not of the world. You're, you're an alien. You actually are an alien. <laughs> well, no, you're not, because you're a legal citizen. So, Graham? Well, Graham's legalized too. Do we have any non Americans here? Oh, well, you're not American. Are you Canadian? You never got naturalized? I didn't know that. Wow, we got a Canadian. Give her a hand. She's an alien. A legal alien, yeah. <clears throat> it means not the, the word uh, world there is cosmos, and it can mean arrangement. We're not Jesus was not part of the order of the world, the, or the structured order, and we are not to be of that order either. We are to represent a different order. What order? The, the kingdom to come. We are to represent the culture of heaven on earth now. All right, And we have the confidence, based on what I shared previously, that that order is what is going to invade earth. Okay, Eternally, the order that's going to prevail is the culture of heaven is going to rule and reign in this earth. All right, So we can have utter confidence, no matter what's going on, in the end, Christ is going to reign and He's going to establish His culture of unity and love. And that gives us the hope and an endurance and ability to live and to bring and to work toward bringing together uh, division, divided people and bringing into unity and, and striving to, to build bridges to others so that other people groups and people unlike us can be part of this eternal kingdom that Christ offers. It's what everyone's longing for. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are the agents of heaven on earth to, to, to communicate this vision of unity. Mm-hmm. You know, Not sameness, but unity in the diversity of people and the, the heavenly visions as people of all tribes and tongues and nations were singing praise. There's still ethnic diversity in heaven. Okay, it's a place, and in the renewed earth, it's a place where there's complete freedom of diversity because we're all in unity and love with Christ and with one another. And so we can stand with someone that we may politically disagree with, but love them and respect them and show honor to them and treat them with dignity because we know that we, I'm sure, are not 100% right either. And we expect that to be treated that way too. But we can, we can have the confidence and ability to do that because we know ultimately that the rule of heaven and earth, the rule of the United States, the rule of my life, and the life of every man, woman, and child is going to come under the authority of Jesus Christ. And that's the message we're to bring forth. All right. 
Aaron has some announcements. <clears throat>